Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today's mini-sode, we are going to cover some fleeting thoughts on textual variants, different versions of the Bible. Which version is the best? I remember one antidote back from college when I was trying to talk to someone and tell them why I use the New King James. And he cut me off mid-sentence. He didn't let me explain my own reasoning. And he said, oh, all these other versions are perfectly acceptable translations. I have a friend who speaks Greek and she said that they are perfectly good translations. Well, you didn't let me finish. Uh, the, the, the translation is not what's at issue here. It's not turning the Greek letters to English, that's what I have an issue with. It's the based manuscripts, what what the translation's based off of in the first place, with which I take issue. This is why I use the New King James for the New Testament and the ESV typically for the Old Testament. So let's start with the Old Testament. For the Old Testament, we have three main bodies of text for our information about the Old Testament. Number one, we got the Masoretic text, which is a 10th century Hebrew text. The features of this text is it has punctuation, and the punctuation itself is a commentary on the text. Based on whatever stems are being added into the Hebrew, that's the translator's own interpretation of what the text says. This might become important when we're looking at Genesis 1.1. Is Genesis 1.1 the first act in history, or is it setting up a story to be told later and not an act at all. This is the creation of the universe and then here's how it was created versus and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that's his first act. So the Masoretic text takes the idea in Genesis 1-1 that it's setting up a narrative. It's it's a dependent clause. It's it's not setting up God's first act. We know this by the different stems that they use. Of course, that punctuation is a 10th century commentary on the original text of the Bible. An older Hebrew text that we have is the Dead Sea Scrolls, ranging in date from uh, the time of Christ to 200 years prior to that. So we got a nice good time range for those documents. Very old and very accurate as compared to the Masoretic text. We know that the Masoretic text, there's hardly any changes between that big of a time gap period. So it gives me high confidence in any real translation of the Old Testament. Uh, but specifically, those who use the Dead Sea Scrolls will have variant readings that make more sense. For example, when God splits up the nations in the Masoretic, it's per the children of Israel, whereas in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's per the number of angels. Angels are given territories over the earth in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It makes a lot more sense than the Masoretic version, and so the Dead Sea Scrolls seems to me to be a more accurate version, earlier version. It doesn't have the punctuation. And one thing it does is it retains the proper old Hebrew name of God, as we discussed in our Name of God episode. Pulling up the Reality is Not Optional webpage and going to the article The Name of God, we could see how the text for the letters for the Name of God have changed through the ages and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Although that uses a newer Hebrew for most of the text, it re retains the ancient use, the ancient font for the name of God. It shows a lot more respect to the name of God. And let's let's go look at what it says about Exodus 3.14, which is a critical text for understanding the Septuagint, which we're going to be getting to shortly. So turning to the Exodus 3.14, and God says to Moses, I am who I am, Awe, Asher, Awe, 
And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So this is God's name for himself, very important. The Septuagint is the next version of the Bible that we're going to be talking about. This is a Greek translation which was undertook in uh, about 200 BC by a group of scholars under the Ptolemies. And these were uh, Hellenized, Hellenized translators who seemed to de-anthropomorphize God systematically throughout the text. So in the Septuagint, when we turn to Exodus 3.14, we have a very Hellenized version of God's name. Basically, it states, I am the being, or I am the one, in the LXX. A very Platonistic, Platonistic type of interpretation, which we know is inaccurate based on the Dead Sea Scrolls version, and based on all sorts of other commentary we have about the Septuagint how that rolls, how it de-anthropomorphizes God systematically. We'll turn to Origen saying as much. Well, he's, he talks about the very bad translation of the LXX from the Hebrew that we have. But we'll read this paragraph first. The versions of Aquila and Theodotin have Ahe, Asher, Ahe, and the Ahe of 314b rendered into Greek as Usomi, Hos, Osumi, and Asumi, respectively which in turn translates as, I will be who I will be, and I will be. This Aquila version, we'll, we'll cover a little bit later. This, this is an actual Greek version who tried to do justice to the Greek text. And so when you see Aquila, in reference to any different version of the Greek Old Testament, we don't have it in full, but the fragments we do have are fairly accurate it, to the detriment of the reader. It won't it won't transliterate Hebrew idioms into the Greek. It'll just translate literally into the Greek to, to a large extent. It's a very faithful rendering of the Hebrew, whereas the LXX is not faithful, adds a bunch of things, and as Origen says, uh, that they, they include a lot of stuff that's just not in the Hebrew. Let's keep in mind who Origen is. Origen is a compiler of various versions of the Bible. He sought textual accuracy was his big thing. And so uh, one of his main works was when he took various Greek versions and put them up against a Hebrew version showing various differences. He went, he went to even entertain that for the New Testament because of all the different uh, New Testament versions rolling around. We need to separate in our mind though the Old Testament from the New Testament in this context. LXX a bad translation translates Exodus 3:14 in a Platonic sense. De-anthropomorphizes God throughout the text. Origen criticizes this text. But let's go on with this paragraph. There could have been several reasons why they chose to translate the words of Exodus 3:14 in this way, but among them would certainly have been the desire to produce a translation that would be more true to the Hebrew original than the Septuagint. For this reason, they would have wanted to restore the idiom per idiom form of Ehe, Asher, Ehe, and so they did. However, had the translator's only purpose been to restore the idiom per idiom form, then most obvious revision of ego ami ho on would have been ego ami ho ego ami, which would have at least preserved the only literal translation of ehe that does feature in the Septuagint version of the verse ego ami. Instead, they chose to replace the words ego ami with esomi, which is to replace the words I am with I will be. Remember Rabbi Sachs talking about this? That the verse 
in question in the Hebrew means I will be who I will be. God's talking about his role in Israel's history and him not being confined to the norms, that he is a God that is intimately connected with Israel and will accomplish great things in their history, in, in the context. This is the meaning of the word rather than the philosophical Greek take, the Platonic take, in which this is a statement of absolute being. Oh, God is the one. He's immutable. He's outside of space and time. You'll see that definition in various systematic theologies of this verse. It's just not there. It might be in the LXX, a Platonic text, a text that was made in the Alexandria region and which took vast liberties with the Hebrew text. It's not to be trusted. I don't trust the LXX at all. I could I trust it as far as I could throw it, and I don't got any copies to throw. Instead, they chose to replace the words ego ami with esumi, which is replace the words I am with I will be. And in keeping with the apparent intention of the Hebrew text, they translated all three occurrences of ehe in this way. That Aquila translation, way better than the LXX. LXX has some problems. We're next going to turn to Origen saying as much. This is from Origen's letter to Africanus in which they're discussing whether they should accept some of the apocryphal stories in various texts or not. And he starts talking about these Greek translations. He says, so for Aquila, remember that's our good guy, following the Hebrew reading gives it, who has obtained credit among the Jews of having interpreted the scriptures with no ordinary care and whose version is most commonly used by those who do not know Hebrew as the one which has been most successful. So Aquila as a faithful rendering of the text origin saying that's most faithful to the Hebrew. That's the one we need to care about, not the LXX. Moving on, we're going to skip down a little bit. And in many other sacred books, I found sometimes more in our copies than in the Hebrew, sometimes less. Uh-oh, the Greeks, Greek versions of the Bible floating around aren't mirroring the Hebrew. Well, we've got a problem here. I shall adduce a few examples since it is impossible to give them all. Of the book of Esther, neither the prayer of Mardochiasis nor that of Esther, both fitted to edify the reader, is found in the Hebrew. What we need to cover in one of our episodes, the added prayers in the Greek version of Esther, this is not found in the Hebrew, it's found in the Septuagint. Then in Job, the words from it is written that he shall rise again with those whom the Lord raises to the end are not in the Hebrew and so not in Aquila's edition while they are found in the Septuagint and Theodotion's version agreeing with each other, at least in sense. And so he's saying the 70, uh, they add, they subtract, they add things that aren't in the Hebrew whereas the most accurate version is Aquila. Let's turn to this book about the Septuagint and see what that says about uh, Aquila's version. It says, he, this is Aquila, he's, he's the translator, that's his name. He then became a Jew, learned Hebrew, and set about retranslating the scriptures in order to discredit the LXX. This is a Christian tradition about the origin of his translation, and it makes a lot of sense being a more faithful rendering of the Hebrew, more so than the Septuagint. Reading down further, Aquila's version, of which only fragments and isolated readings remain, is marked by its quantitative closeness to the Hebrew. In places, he reproduces Hebrew idioms to the detriment of Greek grammar and syntax, and he often attempts to use the same Greek equivalent consistently for a given Hebrew word. 
This sometimes results in renderings inappropriate to context. So he's ex extreme literal. This extreme literalness is often taken to show Aquila's reverence for the Hebrew text, and this may have been a factor. It has also been argued that the version was intended to help mainly Greek-speaking Jews to gain access to the Hebrew text. Flipping over to this text, Anti-Anthropomorphism in the Greek Pentateuch by Charles Theodore Frisch, he notes this, Ever since the beginning of scientific investigation of the Greek Old Testament, scholars have noted that translators sought to remove or moderate many of the human qualities and emotions attributed to God in the Hebrew Old Testament. Yet no one has assembled the examples, let alone classify them, for special study. It has been our purpose in this work to gather these instances up from the Greek Pentateuch to classify them in an orderly manner and then to make comments on this material and draw definite conclusions. That's interesting that he, he mentions the Greek Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That was probably all that the LXX, the 70 translators, originally translated. And then the version that we have today has been amended since that original translation. There's this uh, mystical story about 70 translators and they're led by God to give a perfect version that all agrees with each other. Complete fabrication. We already have shown that it's a fairly bad translation, especially in parts about God's own name, that LXX is a terrible, terrible translation and not to be trusted. The Greek Pentateuch de-anthropomorphizes God for the Hebrew. Remember, in the Greek mindset, in the Platonic mind, God having human actions, emotions, thoughts, attributes was a bad thing. And those types of ideas had to be mitigated, changed, and they had to be made more relevant to an Alexandrian, more chic more chic audience, uh, more culturally relevant audience. These Greek philosophers in the Alexandrian world. We see that in all our texts that are coming out of that Alexandria area. We see that even in the Book of Wisdom, or Shura, we see attempts to give God more Greek attributes. Greek attributes is a good way of saying that they are, they're starting to adopt these platonic concepts or platonic values although this would have been before the time of neoplatonism and middle platonism perhaps or, or old platonism there's a definite tendency in the greek as this states to de-emphasize human person characteristics of god which is thoroughly against the bible in the bible in the old testament especially god is a person and this is this personhood is being denied in the Greek scriptures. So what does this all mean for studies of the Old Testament? For the studies of the Old Testament, I don't trust the LXX as a version. I like the Masoretic generally, and I would defer to the Dead Sea Scrolls in any uh, if there's any variance. If there's any variance, I'd go first for the Dead Sea Scrolls and then to the Masoretic, and then LXX would be just for reference. But for this reason, I like using the ESV because it does rely on the Dead Sea Scrolls in some fairly critical texts. And uh, although it relies also on the LXX, uh, I, th I think a cost-benefit analysis, probably ESV is fine. Probably any version of the Bible is going to be fine. Any Old Testament version uh, that you find is going to be good. But if we're going for accuracy, I would prioritize the original Dead Sea Scrolls over any of our other versions, especially the LXX. If there's a deviation, 
uh, LXX is going to be wrong. Switching to the New Testament, this should go a lot faster, maybe, I don't know. You got uh, two main traditions. The first tradition is the one which almost all English versions are based off of is what's known as the critical text. And the critical text is a compilation, addition, subtraction between three main texts, which is the Codus Vaticanus, the Codus Alexandrius, and the Codus Sinaiticus. And uh, their methodology, these texts don't agree with each other as well as the majority of all our other texts do and so they kind of pick and choose what they want to include in this textual version based on what they have come up with with their uh, methodology to figure out what the original versions said and so uh, these these texts are three old documents they're the oldest ones we have pretty much but keep in mind that they're still pretty late uh, third century CE. So these are late documents and they are probably arising from the Alexandrian area where we learn from Origen when he comments on the matter that all sorts of bad texts were floating around this region. Let's let's uh, query Bart Ehrman on this. This is from Bart Ehrman's book, Misquoting Jesus. This is also quoted by Bruce Mitzger in uh, one of his uh, texts on the New Testament. These, these are textual scholars. Bart Ehrman's a textual scholar, and he's quoting Origen, and this is from Origen's commentary on Matthew. I have not been able to secure an English version of this commentary, uh, so if you have one, go ahead and uh, send that to me so I could get a hold of that. But we'll just take his word that this is in context. It means what he says. Here's Ehrman quoting Origen. The differences among the manuscripts have become great, either through the negligence of some copyists or through the perverse audacity of others. They either neglect to check over what they have transcribed or, in the process of checking, they make additions or deletions as they please. So notoriously, uh, Origen, you know, he was a compiler of the Bible, and so he'd compile all these Old Testament texts for comparison. He did not want to compile something like that about the New Testament. There are too many Greek New Testament versions floating around in his area in Alexandria, and this is the source of these documents by which the critical text is made up of scholars coming together and saying, oh, this is probably the right version. We'll go with the Alexandrius here. We'll go with the Sinaiticus here. We'll go with the Vaticanus here. Uh, picking and choosing what they want to include or disclude in the critical text. I don't quite trust that methodology. I'd rather go with our next option, which is the Byzantine option, which is the majority of all manuscripts that we have in existence, and not just three random ones, which happen to survive from an area that was fraught with bad manuscripts. The majority of all the documents which survive, which primarily agree with each other fairly closely, more so than the, these uh, three other primary quote-unquote critical texts, uh, that's where we get what's known as the majority text, which the only Bible version which uses the majority text for the New Testament is the New King James. The King James, a team James only, as we'll be quick to point out, is that that's based on what's known as the Textus Receptus. Textus Receptus is very close to the Byzantine or the majority text, but in places it uses the Latin Vulgate because when it was compiled, it was compiled off of inferior manuscripts and where the Greek was missing, it was filled in with the Latin Vulgate. I don't quite, I'm not a big believer in the Latin Vulgate, so I'll kind of skip the Texas Receptus and I'll skip the King James as a result. But majority text is what I'll go with. 
New King James. But real quick, let's just emphasize this point with origin and pull up a paper, a dissertation that I got my hands on. This is coming from the dissertation called Explicit References to New Testament Variant Readings Among the Greek and Latin Church Fathers. This whole paragraph is worth quoting in whole. It's about the New Testament and the Old Testament, and it's about origin. The Hexaplia was a major undertaking, comparing the entire LXX, which became the standard Old Testament text for the church, against other Greek and Hebrew witnesses. Origen likely began the work in Alexandria around 230 CE, but did not complete the project until over a decade later in Caesarea by 245 CE. As the name Hexaplia implies, this work of six columns, the Hebrew, the Hebrew transliterated into Greek, Aquila, Symmachus, the LXX, and Theodotion. While five of these columns were simply reproduced, the LXX column contained Origen's critical sigla that compared it with the variations in the remaining columns. In his commentary on Matthew, Origen explains the system of marginal notations that he used in his Hexplia. This is Origen talking now. Where a point was uncertain in the Septuagint through diversity in the copies, we made our decision from the other versions. What agreed with them we retained. Words not occurring in the Hebrew we marked with a oblique, not daring wholly to remove them. Some words we added, marking them with asterisks, to show that we have inserted them from other versions in conformity with the Hebrew text, though they were not found in the Septuagint. He who wishes may pass over these words, but if anyone dislikes my method, he must do as he pleases about accepting such words or the reverse. So he was very careful with the text and he gave people options. He put in all his findings, put in all his marks to show where the Septuagint varied from multiple manuscripts and from the Hebrew text. And he let readers come to their own conclusions. So Origen, Origen in this regard is a biblical hero for preserving accuracy of the text. Let's skip down further in this dissertation. The question has been asked and answered more than once whether Origen ever created a recension of the New Testament. This is an especially important and intriguing question since Origen is the Old Testament textual scholar par excellence. If anyone were to develop a critical edition of the New Testament, Origen seems to be the most likely candidate. However, by his own testimony, Origen did not engage in such a task in part because the situation with the New Testament was significantly different than the Old Testament. He created the Hexplea because of variations with the original language and the inability of most Christians to compare the Greek Old Testament to the Hebrew themselves and the apologetic need to understand on what text the Jews were basing their theological arguments. With the New Testament, Origen was dealing not only with the original language, but also with a diversity of largely unreliable manuscripts. Thus, he recognized the need to develop a critical edition of the New Testament text, but did not attempt one himself. The studies of modern scholars such as G. Zunz and G. Fee have corroborated Origen's testimony on the matter. Thus, according to the classical schema presented above, any copies of the New Testament books that Origen corrected were likely personal editions or collections of his own notes for the purpose and exemplified by his scriptural commentaries. In short, the variations in the New Testament were too great to do a similar work as Origen did with the Old Testament. They're unreliable. 
generally unreliable, so we got our options in the modern world. We get three texts which diverge from each other quite quite massively comparatively to all the rest of the text, the majority of text, the, the, the Byzantine text, and we compile those three together, we pick and choose what we want, we call it the critical text, and we translate most New Testaments in most English Bibles based on what we call the critical text. Or then we have the King James, which is the majority of all texts, which almost all agree with each other in a lot of substance, maybe some spelling error, differential, and that's uh, our New King James text. That's the one I'm going with. That's why I'm going to use the, the New King James for the New Testament. Old Testament, uh, pick what you want. I'll, I'll try to go with the LXX when I can. I'll use the ESV. Sometimes the ESV will take a Calvinist translation of the Greek to English, uh, but reliance on the Septuagint kind of outweighs those rare instances. Well, this really didn't turn out to be a mini-sode, so we'll upgrade this to an episode. If you have any comments, put that in the comments section or start a thread on the God is Open page. Thank you for listening. <laughs>